Hey listener, thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Pixels and Panels, a show where we take you behind the scenes of the comic industry, your conversations with your favorite creators and industry leaders. Our guest today is Monica Gallagher, a decorated veteran when it comes to all things comics. Her impressive body of work spans over two decades and most recently includes Assassin Roommate, The Black Ghost, and her upcoming comic adaptation, Anti-Stepbrother. Today, we talk about why she believes attending comic conventions are vital as a creator, even today, her expansive portfolio and the behind-the-scenes stories behind them, and where she's headed next. Without further ado, here's Monica. Hey, Monica, how are you doing today? Great. Well, thanks for taking a bit of time uh, and coming onto our show to get started. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what got you into comics and where you began? Oh, um, I mean, I began a long time ago. Um, Basically, when I was a kid, I was really into comic strips like Garfield and Calvin and Hobbes. And I thought I would just mimic them and make my own like boring my own version of comic strips, which was just boring. And then when I was in high school, I made a comic for my best friend for her birthday that was long form, like a regular comic. And after that, I just kind of kept doing it, even though no one was reading it, none of my friends or anything. I just did it for myself. And I kind of just kept going. And then the more that I actually learned about comics, like in high school and college, uh, I was an animation major in college. But I just, I just kept doing comics. I had this one web comic that I did for way too long and I started printing it out and going to conventions. And then I met like a community of people. And so I just figured like, oh, this is just what you do. You keep coming up with stuff and going to conventions. And I had a day job the whole time. It was only in the last, like five years ago when I was actually able to quit my day job. But yeah, so I've kind of just been doing a whole variety of stories. Some are with publishers, some are just for myself. And some are online, some are in print, and I've just kind of kept it going for this long because I love it. You have a very unique art style that I've loved to read. What inspired you? You mentioned that you read a lot of Garfield and Calvin and Hobbes, which I read a bunch of growing up as well. But how would you describe your art style and the inspiration behind it? Well, like a lot of people, you start out by mimicking who you like. And so I, I wasn't... It was, I think I was 12 years old when I discovered ElfQuest and that was a huge influence on me because my friend's parents were like super 70s and had like all the ElfQuest books <laughs> and I got obsessed with that. And that was my entryway into a lot of comics, um, including especially manga. And once I discovered manga, I was like a lot of people where I was just copying that style. Mm. I saw it as one style and not a variety of styles. And from then I moved on into like Adrian Tomine and, um, more kind of realistic styles, even though my style, I don't feel like is very realistic. Uh, and, and then, I mean, people just evolve their own style no matter what, like no matter their influences, they're always gonna develop their own style and it's gonna become its own monster. You, uh, you took the words out of my mouth and how I would describe your style because I was, I wanted to use the word realistic, but you're right. Like it's not realistic, but it, it has like elements of it. It's very, very interesting. And I've, um, enjoyed it. The other question I had for you. So you've, you know, told a bunch of different stories. You've self-published comics. You have two webtoons that you've done. There's another series that we're going to talk about in the future that you're working on now. Who do you uh, write for? How do you think about your audience? 
Uh, that's a good question. Cause initially I think when you start creating your own work, you do it because you don't see your own story out there or you think like, what would I want to see out there? What do I not see out there? Like, I'm going to put it out there from my perspective. And no matter what, the funniest thing I always found was that um, as long as you write something truthful, people are going to identify with it. As bonkers as it, as it is, if it's truthful, you're going to find an audience and they're going to really connect with it. But it surprised me over the years. Like, I've never been able to assume who my audience was. Like, initially, when I was first starting out for the first, like, 10 years, it was only, like, middle-aged men, like middle-aged white men who are reading my stuff. And I would never guess that like, in a million years. So it's kind of evolved from there, like depending on the platform, the publisher, that that really holds a lot of sway. Like if people are very devoted to a certain publisher, a certain platform. So I think that helps. So maybe let's start with Boo It's Sex, which uh, is a really interesting story about a ghost that lives in a house and then four college girls that uh, move in. Uh, first, I will ask, did you have a sense of who the audience was there? Because I'm, I'm guessing it was very different from the early on, you know, middle-aged man who was reading your, uh, your, well, your early, early stories. I mean, you'd be surprised. So that was, I was created by uh, myself and Danielle Corsetto, and she's a very famous cartoonist in her own right. She's been in web comics very, very successfully for a long time. And I've known her for a long time. And the two of us wanted to do a comedic sex ed comic. And we thought because Webtoons' audience was primarily people on the younger age, like preteens and even younger, that we we're trying to like hit a balance of like, well, this is stuff that, you know, everyone should know, but she and I both learned a ton. And then we've talked to so many adults who were like, well, I never knew that. And we're like, we didn't know that either. <laughs> no. So I don't know. I mean, I think it, it hit a lot of people. So that was, that was good. We thought it was just going to be like horny teenagers and then they're going to be disappointed. Like, oh man, it's about sex ed, not sex. <laughs> yeah. What, what was it like to, to research that and develop that comic? Because in order for that to land well, like you said, you, you, you stuck this great balance of it's very informational and I learned a lot reading it as well. Um, but it's also like very entertaining. You feel for the characters. What was it like to like blend those two things together into one comic? Well, I mean, full credit for that goes to Danielle because she she did a bunch of research, but she also had a very clear idea in mind. And that's why like we get we still get like DMs from people who are like, how did Tara die? And we're like, that's not the point of the story. Like yeah. that's never been the point. Like we wanted to have the characters like you you care about them, but you also recognize that they're a vehicle for education. Um so yeah, Danielle just really had a and I think it evolved over time too but when she and I would discuss it and work on it together it was kind of like making sure it was educational enough but also like we're obviously not experts and so we wanted to encourage people to like look up stuff on their own and then we use a lot of metaphors because we didn't want to you know we didn't want to get cut out we didn't want to get censored as well as like we wanted people to kind of have a more like curious reading of it they could look at it and be like, oh, like, I wonder what that actually means and then go investigate on their own. Uh, and in terms of just character development and coming up with characters, 
what is your process been like for that? I know every creator approaches it a little bit differently. Some are like, let me hit the main beats of the story, understand the types of emotions I want people to feel, then work on characters. Some people are drawn to like, okay, I want this person to exist in my story and then craft things around that. What does it usually look like for you? That, yeah, that for me depends. I'm usually more character driven. I usually, it's kind of like this, I write the same way that I, I do my artwork where I'm very concerned with characters and facial expressions and not so much concerned with world building. <laughs> like, you can really tell there's a great divide between like my settings and the people. Uh, there's been a few times though where I've just decided I want to create a whole comic of, like I have a comic about um, a roller girl at her day job. And I was like, I just want a comic about her. And then I'll build the entire world around that. Um, but for other comics like Assassin Roommate, I knew going into it, the two main characters, and then I knew the world. And then I was like, well, I'll figure it out from there. So like, I guess <laughs> I don't, I don't plan an outline a whole bunch depending on the story. It's usually more, yeah. Like who are these characters and how are they going to interact and what's going to happen to them? Yeah, let's talk about Assassin Roommate. Uh, Mags and Kurt are both fascinating characters. Mags is like, like, I loved like trying to just figure out who she is because it takes a while to be able to put any sort of finger on her. Um, but, you know, very fascinating characters. So do you mind talking about your inspiration behind these two? Yeah, I've always kind of said that it was it was three it was threefold. So I got approached by um, a former editor at Webtoon, Tom Akel at a comic convention and he asked if I'd be interested in pitching to them. And I was like, sure, but I, I figured it was just nonsense because you get a lot of people approaching you and they're like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, no one's paying for web comics. But he said it was a romance. And I was like, well, I have this idea for a story but it's not romance. So how, I guess I'll just like <laughs> make it a romance about assassins. But the idea primarily came from I read the book Eleanor and Park by uh, Rainbow Rowell, which I really loved. Um, so that was kind of like a bare bones inspiration. It's about like a, a white redheaded girl who is like bigger and felt very uncomfortable in her own skin. And she meets this um, Korean kid at her school who's like super shy, but also very into martial arts. And they kind of have this like amazing connection. So it was that, but then I also saw the movie Spy with Melissa McCarthy and I was like, we never get to see assassins who are real people that could really blend in and everyone underestimates them all the time. So yeah, those were kind of like the things that I had <laughs> combined together in my head. And what was it like working with the Webtoon team to produce an original? It was amazing. I mean, I, I really, it was like a dream come true. Um, and that was what enabled me to quit my job. And I'd been doing web comics for years, but never on like a rigid schedule. And then, you know, getting paid like a living wage and people actually reading it. And like, you get like instant comments, instant feedback. It was really exciting. Like a really, it was, yeah, it was definitely my favorite job. Cause it was so you you uh, talked about conventions. How important were conventions to you as someone that was rising up the ranks and becoming a more established comic artist? I think they're the most important thing, honestly. Um, like maintaining a community online is great and important, but there's something really special about comics creators seeing each other over and over again and talking to each other about what they're working on and keeping tabs on each other. 
and then meeting people in the industry and developing relationships with them because that's really you get to know who's trustworthy who's like you know a hard worker who's great to work with who's pleasant like you really develop those relationships and you can you know see people at conventions for five years and then all of a sudden one day they offer you a job like it's a really I, I think that's the best environment but I know other people have found <laughs> like the online community more satisfying so it's interesting yeah and what about the fan or reader side the interesting thing is you go to a convention and it is so interesting to see obviously when people read they have their own online identity they're showing you a particular side of them then you meet people in real life and you get the full picture so what has it been like to obviously cater for your readers online but then start to meet them in person has that been helpful at all in terms of you developing your style or your stories or anything like that um I mean it's all it's been so different over the years like the people who have come up to my table assassin roommate was very different because it was, I think it was like two, maybe a year and a half after I started doing the comic that I finally went to a convention and met actual fans. Um, so I hadn't met any of them and it had been a long time. And then I was like, oh my gosh, they're so young. And they're so like, enthusiastic and it was so great. And then um, every now and then I get somewhat like a surly, like teenage guy who was like, yeah, I'm buying this for my mom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It's always kind of surprising. And I'm always impressed because I have a terrible time going up to people whose work I admire and talking to them. I, just, I want nothing to do with it. I just want to like buy their book and say hi and then run away. So I'm always impressed when people like want to talk to me. What sort of emotions do you look to create with your stories? Uh, I know you've explored a variety of different themes. I think as you read any of your work, whether you're you know, working on the art primarily or the story on the art, you are able to create a feel while still building distinct worlds and emotions that are drawn from characters. So do you have particular themes that you like or particular emotions that you want people to wake, uh, walk away uh, with when they read your stories? I, I think it depends on what I'm working on at the moment or where I'm at in my life, because things have definitely changed. Like when you're younger, you want everything to be kind of dramatic and like epic. And then as you get older, your your interest is more in like the minutiae and like the ways that people are different in very tiny ways. That's something I've definitely noticed. Like now I pay more attention to the voices of the characters and what they might actually be going through rather than just assuming that everyone's going through the same thing or hmm. people are going through something at a certain point in their life. Yeah. Interesting. So I want to come back and talk about Anti-Stepbrother, which is what you're working on right now. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. But before we do that, you have a bunch of different ways that you've looked uh, at making money as an artist. And I saw, you know, Patreon seems to be a big reason why you were able to, to quit your full-time job and pursue this. So I guess, do you mind just starting by being like, okay, you're up and coming, you've produced a bunch of web comics, you're working on your craft. Now you're like, okay, how am I going to make money off of this? What was your process like? What did you look at? And how did you start to make money from your wonderful work? Well, it's difficult because it is very different for everybody. And mm -hmm. I've been doing this for a long time. So for people today, it looks very different. Like they're both there's more avenues where you can make money now, but also less like, cause there's so many people out there. Like I think Webtoon was a huge game changer for a lot of people because they weren't able to make enough money from their web comics before that. Like very few people could live off of their web comics before that. Um, 
so yeah, like I went through, I mean, I, I guess I started going to conventions and selling comics that way, but I always had a day job. So it was kind of, it was just bonus. I didn't, I wasn't able to like fully fund like, how I lived um, until Webtoon, but yeah, it's always going to be a mishmash and you have to be creative, like, um, you know, finding out like how people are reading your stuff and what way they want to ingest it and what they're willing to pay for and what they want to see more of. And I mean, that's part of what's so difficult about it is that we all kind of want to just be able to do what we want to do and then make a living off of it. But I think also like conventions, like besides just selling books, they're just huge for exposure to industry people and um, the publisher side of things. So for me, it was like a lot of self-published stuff until I got noticed by a publisher, which was Oni Press. And then they opened up a lot of doors for me and I was able to move on to like other, other publishers and just like random gigs here and there before, before Webtoon, so. So on the self-publishing side, like how would that work? Like what would you do to get the physical copies of your comics and then go to the convention and sell them? Because that sounds like the grittiest, badass, most badass thing I've heard of. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in the day, I mean, it was like zines, like in the 90s, like zines were a big deal. Like you would just go, you know, to Kinko's and like make your own rock zine and sell it at a show. Wow. So, and um, I remember Patton Oswalt said that like he wanted to create, he had this one documentary where he was like going around on a tour bus with comedians and he said he wanted comedians to tour like rock bands do and he hadn't seen that like indie rock bands. Mm. He kind of created that and a lot of indie comics people do the same thing where they just kind of make their own work like they, you know, print it on their printer, staple it at home. And then they just show up at conventions. And that's what I did initially was I just printed everything out and stapled it. And then I, I would just go to like one convention and meet people and they would recommend another one. And I go to that one and they'd recommend another one. And then you just keep going around and adding more if you can. Interesting. What about the physical merch that you've had? So you have things on Etsy, Society6. Uh, I've seen, you know, mugs, stickers, a bunch of different things. Uh, what made you kind of start to look at that and look at merch as an opportunity for you? Well, merch is, it's always complicated. I used to work at a screen printing shop and it was so expensive, like per t-shirt if you wanted. And I did that once, like I had my own inventory. So, but then it was like predicting sizes and colors. It was a nightmare. So it's just like the, like the print on demand stuff we have now is much better. It kind of sucks because you're only making maybe like $1 or $5 a t-shirt, but at least you don't have like all this inventory weighing you down. So I definitely wanted people to be able to enjoy, you know, a variety of products, not just like the comic, but um, yeah, it's always a balancing act of like, is it a good company with good quality? Like who do I trust to make this? And I think some people do still make it on their own, but to me, that's like a nightmare. Yeah. It's a lot of time, I'm sure, to like deal with the logistics and, and stuff. Um, and yeah, like you said, if it's kind of print to order, that can, you just may not be making a lot of money off of the actual sales itself. So one thing that I know has helped a lot of different creators is Patreon. Um, I see that you have over a hundred patrons, you know, I guess to start, uh, what has Patreon been able to do for you as a creator? Well, Patreon's huge uh, for a lot of for a lot of artists just in general because it's finally a way that we can like directly speak to an audience and 
be consistent and they can like web comics used to have tip jars basically. And that was a similar thing. And they used to have like really thriving, like comics forums and things like that, which we kind of have still with discord, but I find that Patreon gives you like a focused way to speak directly to the people who want to hear from you. So it's like, they're all like signing up and saying like, Hey, we actually like you. And it's always a, a balancing act with creators because we always feel like we're not giving them enough to be worth their money. And then there, a lot of them are just like, I don't even read what you put. I just like, <laughs> I just throw like a couple dollars a year a month and I don't even read it. Like, <laughs> Fascinating. So what do you think they've been readers enjoy the most or your patrons rather when they subscribe for you? Maybe it's just like, Hey, I just want to support more of your work and help you do what you do. It's always surprising. Cause I like, I mean, I always feel like I'm not doing enough or I should offer other things, but it seems like the majority of people, they just want to read like my autobio stuff, which is awesome. Cause I offer yeah, like yeah. two different, um, comics like web comics that are fictional and then I have like autobio comics every now and then and it seems like and then I offer like art prints and stuff but yeah it seems like they're more interested in the autobio stuff because it's more relatable as far as how you spend your time now how much of your time are you spending on you know the Etsy and Society6 stuff versus Patreon versus kind of other places or is it does it all kind of take care of itself at, at this point well, Patreon's the hardest because I had made a decision um, last year I, when the Webtoon job ended, I was like, okay, I'm going to really put my time and effort into Patreon, but it's really difficult to like maintain that, like what you think you're going to promise people and then what you actually do promise. So you start out with like this really high bar of, I'm going to do like five comics a week and all this stuff. And then it's like, oh, but I'm still not making enough money where I can do that. So then you're like it's always a juggling act. And for me, like society six kind of, unless I want to add a new design, I don't really, there's nothing I can really do. Um, and same with like threadless I use as well. Etsy's more, Etsy's kind of more fun. Cause you can, you can put up stuff like with very little risk that you just want to try out and see if anyone will like it. It's not like you have to develop a bunch of file formats and do all this stuff. It's, it's much simpler. Interesting. And I'd love to use that as a springboard to talk about the future of the comic industry. So what do you sort of hope happens for comic creators? Um, I think it would be nice if it was easier for us to kind of get our comics out there and get paid for it. I mean, that's obviously that's like <laughs> what everyone wants. But like when COVID hit, it was great for a ton of creators because like people were ingesting so much like media and comics were part of that, but the comics industry wasn't growing with it. It was still stuck with only like a few online, you know, companies that were capable of like dealing with that. And so a lot of them just like, you know, shut the gates to us. Like they were just like, we can't have any more, like no more, like we're already filled up. So I guess, maybe like planning, because I think the comics industry still is like stuck very much in like the print model, like the monthly print model and people want to read comics in a variety of different ways, which like mobile comics have shown, like reading comics on your phone was a huge deal. So yeah, I guess it's just being more flexible and predicting new ways of doing it rather than like going back to these kind of like older ways. 
Yeah. So what do you think about the future of sort of print comics versus uh, mobile comics? I know there's a spectrum of people. There's a lot of strong opinions on either side. So how do you think about that? And how do you think that translates to the creator themselves? Well, I think there's a market for both. I think like um, comics lost a huge part of their female readership over the years. Like we just did, we used to have a, a ton of women reading comics, like back in the very, very early days of comics. And then they stopped. And with mobile comics, like we have so many more women now reading and women of like different ages, like all across the board, reading comics on their phone, but they still want to see it like all on print, like collected because it's like, mm. it's like, you know, like watching a TV show, like one episode every week, as opposed to like binging it, like people just have their preferences of like, it's a different, it's a different story, honestly, when you like parse it out versus when you read it all at once. So, I mean, I still, I still really like books and I like mobile, so. Yeah, you heard it here first. You can, you can like both, it's totally fine. You don't have to pick a yeah, side. Yeah, you don't have to pick <laughs> <the> team. <laughs> um, another question I'd like to get your perspective on, you know, you mentioned it's difficult to get your comic out there there are places obviously like YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and you have a very strong following on both Twitter and Instagram. Do you think there's something that these sort of social media platforms need to be doing more of to help uh, comic artists or something that they could do to help you all? Yeah, it's more like not help, but just not hinder us. I think they've hindered us a lot. Like just get out of the way and like the, like the algorithms are killing us. Like it's, it's also just besides promoting the people who already have tons of subscribers, it's not allowing diversity and other people to like even get, like I've had so many people I follow on Instagram just say like, I've given up, like, like I don't see, like no one's seeing my posts anymore. Like I can't be here anymore. So it would be great if, yeah, they would just like get out of our way or yeah, like maybe help us out by not like <laughs> filtering. It seems like it's, and I don't know exactly how it works, but it seems like such a sledgehammer approach. They're like, oh, like we're gonna put all our like money and backing into like the Kardashians and nobody else. Like it just, like, there's gotta be some kind of like a range. Yeah, one of the things I love about Webtoons, you know, you think about Netflix and Netflix obviously can create a bunch of different TV shows, but you compare that to how many different stories comic creators can make. And you're talking about tens of thousands more. Uh, and one of the things I really appreciated from reading your work is it exposes you to so many different perspectives that might not get heard otherwise. How important is that piece of, you know, it, it's almost like a mission rather than, you know, your job. How important is that to you as you continue your work and do what you do? Like diversity of message? Yeah, or... yeah diversity yeah. and the difference in perspectives that kind of show up by you doing your work. Yeah, I mean, everybody, I think, has their unique voice, but unfortunately I think what happens especially in like tv when things are turned into tv shows or turned into movies they get homogenized by like mm. producers or all the people involved who are scared to take a risk when really like the things that really stand out are the most popular and I don't know why they still haven't realized that they're they're yeah. still like trying to assume what people want to watch and then pushing them towards just watching the same stuff rather than like letting them like if you sign into someone else's Netflix, it's like fascinating to see like what's available. When I sign into Netflix, I only see the same like five things recommended. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you trying to push me into? 
I won't spoil it, but there's like a few things in Assassin Roommate that to your point of doing something a little bit different, I fell into a few of your traps that I think you set up for the reader and it surprised me in a very pleasant way. So I I will not ruin that joy for the reader. So just please go check it out. You you won't regret it. Um, I really want to talk about Anti-Stepbrother. There is a teaser available on the Kiss app. So just go check that out. It'll do more of a justice than I could ever do on this pod. So just go check that out. Um, to start, so this is something that you're adapting into a comic. What has that process been like? It's been amazing. I That was such a surprising job because um, I'm obviously like a big fan of romance, even though I haven't read too many, especially modern ones, but um, they're hugely popular. And so the fact that this you know, this company that already had a very successful, like, choose your own adventure, like, choose your own romance games, we're wanting to get into comics. And so I got to just, you know, read this great romance novel and then turn it into a comic script. And then they're like, hey, do you want to draw? And I was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> sure. What, what were the challenges of adapting it? Because just from my reading, it seems like a lot of people can underestimate adaption. They're like, oh, this the story has been written, but it's never that simple. So what were some of the things that you're like, oh, wow, this is a lot more difficult than I thought it would be when it come, came to adapting a written story into a comic? It was actually super fun. I, I was really intimidated going into it, but it was kind of, yeah, like figuring out like the voice of each of the characters. And then, you know, if we had to like, trim down scenes or like alter them, like making sure the characters were still legit so that we didn't like, you know, ruin them or anything by like putting, like moving stuff around. But one thing, when I started adapting it, I was not the artist. I was like, they didn't have an artist assigned to it. And I assumed I wasn't going to be. So I wrote in all these scenes that if I was normally writing my own stuff, I would be like, oh no, I'm not going to write that crowd scene. I'm not going to, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to draw it. And so yeah so when it finally came time for me to do it I was like god damn it like I, <laughs> I draw it. you're like this is someone else's problem good luck to them oh it's yeah. my problem it was really fun to just be like cityscape and then like <laughs> aha like deal with that that's gonna take you eight hours to draw <laughs> did you get to work with the uh author uh, or the original creator of the the written work no it was kind of interesting I, I wonder if it's a similar because I always wonder about like um, screenplays, like how they're adapted yeah. from and how much control the original author, usually they don't have much control. That's so interesting. Yeah. So like she got, she got um, like character design approval, which was good. She only had like, it was funny. One of the characters, like I drew all muscular and she's like, make him thinner, make him thinner, make him thinner. <laughs> um, but she, and she got like script approval, but she really that was it. Like she didn't really have that much to say, which I was glad, but also like, you know, you want to make sure that you're doing her work justice. That's so fun. Yeah. That's incredibly fun. I wonder what it's like to watch and, you know, watch someone else's interpretation. And in a way, I think it's good probably because it gave you the space to explore the way you thought the story should be told. So um, yeah, Yeah. I'm excited to read it. It's like any adaptation where they're two different things. Like they don't replace each other at all. It's two entirely different experiences. Uh, What has it been like working with uh, Kiss? It's been great. It's been like, it was just, it was surprisingly easy for me to find and apply for and then get, and it's just been very casual. (laughs) Like, I mean, like the editor that I'm working with is very meticulous, which is funny because I spent so long on Webtoon kind of, they just like, it was such a, 
rushed schedule. They're just like, whatever, whatever. Like, as long as it's done, they didn't like, they didn't really look at it that heavily. And so like this editor is very particular and I'm like, Oh God, like he's going to find out. I don't know how to draw perspective. (laughs) Like, Oh no. (laughs) So I'm really proud of how it's come out, but it's like, it's a lot more (laughs) scrutiny than I had, which is only going to be better. So and so our listeners know this is coming out in early 2022 is what I saw last. Is that right? I think so. Um, that's probably a good bet to say okay. that just in case. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and then before we move on to our last round, do you have any advice for aspiring comic creators? Yeah, I think the best advice is to just keep doing it and to finish what you're working on. Because I've talked to so many people who have ideas or they've started something and gotten overwhelmed. And it really is like, just keep doing it and don't worry about it because you're going to get better no matter what and just finish stuff so that you can show people. And like, you're never, I mean, you're never going to feel like you're great. Like (laughs) you're always going to be improving. (laughs) Just because you've accomplished so many different things. Do you have any advice on how you've gotten through tough times or challenges? Because you've just been able to complete so many different things that you look at your body of your work and you're like, I I literally have a question. It's like, how do you have time to do all of this? But do you have any like advice on just going through challenges and continuing to stick with it? I think, I mean, you have to like it. You have to really, really like it. And a lot of comics people are really passionate about it because there's no other reason why you're not doing it for money. You're not doing it for being like, you really have to be passionate about it. And for a lot of us, that's just how we process our feelings. Like, we don't write it down in a journal. We kind of put it into a comic. And so I think it's like, it's always there for you at different points in your life, like when you need it, which is nice. That's awesome. So to close, I would love to go through our rapid fire round. Are you, are you ready? Okay. <laughs> First, uh, which fictional character best describes your personality? Oh, God. Uh, I would like catch you from Strangers in Paradise, the comic. Okay. Which is probably not true, but it's like a cross between her and a Muppet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the thing I like about um, Rapid Fire is like these, like obviously these are designed to be like light fun. And we talk about pretty like heavier, almost more serious things in the previous section. But when we get to Rapid Fire, everyone's like, okay, I need to be on my A game right now <laughs> right. to get through the Rapid Fire. So I love yeah, it. We're going like- to keep going through. Okay. Um, what are three comics or webtoons uh, that you would take with you on a desert island? Uh, definitely ElfQuest is still one of my all-time favorites. Um, as well as Strangers in Paradise. I'm trying to think. And oh, it's so tough. And I mean, I I would say maybe Sandman because I've read that over and over again. So there are certain ones I've read over and over. Yeah. (laughs) Got it. If you could pick any creator that you would want to have dinner with, who would it be and why? There's a lot of them. Um, I've met Kelly Sue DeConnick, but I would love to have dinner with like just her. And when you think about your favorite scene from a comic, I know favorite is probably hard, but just a scene that pops into your head when you think of the world of comics or webtoons, what scene pops into your mind? Hmm. Why are these all so hard? <laughs> <laughs> Desperately trying to remember. Um, Anything, like usually any comic that uses uh, panels of space is always very powerful. So I'm just thinking like the, the first thing that popped into my mind was Blankets by uh, Craig Thompson. They have 
like the whole book takes place during like winter storms. And so they have tons of panels just like very slowly panning down to like people in the cold, like dealing with emotions and breathing. <laughs> Interesting. And then finally, hopefully this is a, a slightly easier one to end on. If you could have dinner with a fictional character, as I say this, I don't think it's any easier, but if you could have dinner with a fictional character, who would it be? Well, let's see, lately, it'd probably be the Mandalorian. Mm. <laughs> Even though he wouldn't eat. <laughs> yeah. He'd just be ramming food into his helmet. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Well, uh, Monica, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us. Uh, listener, you can look forward to Monica's new work, Anti-Stepbrother, on the Kiss app. Please go and check out the teaser. Um, you can check out both of the stories she's worked on on, on Webtoon. Uh, her website is Eat Your Lipstick. Follow her at Monica Comics on Instagram and then Eat Your Lipstick, I believe, on Twitter as well. But I would just go to her site. There's a lot of cool illustrations, work, uh, comic bios to check out. So Monica, thank you so much for taking some time. Yeah, thanks for having me and not making me recite all my social handles. <laughs> thank you for joining us today. If you have any feedback or want to be featured as our next guest, please write to us at pixelsandpanelspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, like, or give us a five-star rating. See you all next week.